is where you find yourself there. Years ago, uh, there was a man I heard a story of who was a paraplegic man. And this man was known as one in the, the, the city, the area, uh, that would kind of make his way along throughout the town, but he struggled to do so. And there was a, a young group of boys, and there was one ringleader who would always just mock this man and make fun of how he would get around town and would just continuously, every single time they saw him, would just give him the hardest time because of his condition, making fun of uh, the way he, he looked and making fun of the way that he walked and making fun of the way that he just got himself from uh, area to area and from one side of the city to the other. And this group of boys began to one day make fun of this man and the, the, the young boy who was the ringleader began to just harp on the man. I mean, just wearing him out and the man finally had enough. The man looked at the young boy and says, you know what, I'm going to go talk to your mother right now. And the boy, hearing those words, began to just kind of fear struck in his eyes because he knew that if his mama knew what he was saying, he would probably get in trouble. But because he was hanging around his friends, he began to just look at the man who was making his way across the town and was always making fun of him. And he looked at him and said, go ahead, old man, you just go and do that. Go ahead, old man. The man looked at the young boy and said, if you knew what got me in this condition, you wouldn't make fun of me so much. The man finally approached the boy's house and the mother opened the door and he very simply just asked if he could come in and speak to her for just a moment. And the boy and his group of friends were in the background and she called her son into the house. And the man began to talk and he said, there was a, a cold day one winter and I was along this, this side of the town and there was a, a you know, the, the lake was freezing cold and there was a nurse who was pushing a child in a buggy, and as she was pushing that child in the buggy, she just briefly took her hands off of the, the buggy, and the buggy just began to go down the hill. As it began to go down the hill, it began to wobble, and it wobbled, and it fell into the lake. And as I saw what had taken place, I immediately jumped into this wet lake and began to, to wrestle with trying to find the child and finding, uh, you know, if the child was in the buggy and moved the buggy and got the child out and... I immediately got the child, got the child, set the child out, and I began to take off before anyone could see my, my face or find out my name. And the little boy is in shock here, and the mother has tears in her eyes, and the, the little boy is uh, beginning to weep and tell him that he was sorry. And as he begins to tell him that he's sorry, he says, hold up just a minute. He said, because of that one day and the lake being so cold, it began to mess with me and my body and my body functions and I never have been the same ever since and he was standing there and he looked at the little boy he says that little boy was you and the little boy began to weep even more and the mother not even knowing who it was or she remembers the story remembers everything did not know that this was the man and the little boy for the rest of his life would recall those words that the man uttered you wouldn't say these things about me if you knew what got me into this situation. Acts chapter number 3, go with me for just a moment. I want you to see a verse because there are many in this world who find themselves ignorant as Peter uses this word. This word or the statement that you have heard before, ignorance is a bliss. You've probably heard that. You've probably said that. I've used that a time or two whenever I'm unaware of something that is going on because I choose not to. I don't want to. 
But could I share with you this morning that ignorance is not always bliss. And as you find in Scripture, notice with me what the Bible says in verse number 17, and we'll work our way back to verse number 17 here in just a little while. This message this morning has more introduction than it does actually getting to this. And when we get to this, it all fits together. The Bible says now, Brethren, I wot that through ignorance ye did it. That word, wot, three little letters, speaks of the word know. I know that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before showed by the mouth of all of his prophets that Christ should suffer, hath so he hath so fulfilled. Notice again, verse number 17 uses, I want that thou through ignorance ye did it. Again, speaking of this understanding that ignorance is not always bliss. This morning, as chapter 2 of the book of Acts, if you were to go and you were to read chapter 1, chapter 2, you'll find that the power of preaching is evident there. And you find that also the power of preaching resulted in what God began to do is over 3,000 people received the message and also received the Lord as Savior. You begin to see that there was no shortage of power whenever God began to do a work through prayer and through the preaching of God's Word. And I want to remind you this morning that also in 2021 there is no shortage of power as God's Word is preached and as God's Word begins to take effect in the lives of believers, but also as God's Word is proclaimed claim to those who are lost. There's no shortage of power because of who holds the power, and that is God himself. You see, we often find that we lack some power, but God will never and could never lack power. And as you find in Scripture in Ephesians chapter number 3, the Bible says in verses 20 and 21, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Ephesians chapter number 6, verse number 10, the Bible says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Now in chapter number 3, as we work our way to verse number 17, the story begins to take circle and take more of a stance, if you were to say it that way, or, or effect, if you were to say it that way, around one man. This man, as the Bible tells us, was, was one who was crippled. The Bible says in verse number 1, of chapter number 3. Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such I have I give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew it that it was, was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as a, the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. And when, people, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel... 
Why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Notice what Peter says here. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up, and when and denied him in the presence of Pilate, and when he determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith, and his name hath made this man strong, whom ye see and know, yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse number 17, Now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. Ignorance isn't always bliss. This morning I want to preach this message, and I pray it will be a help to you as we consider ignorance isn't always bliss. Many times we might make that statement, ignorance is bliss. In some cases it is. In some cases, you are left out of something that you had no business knowing about and you could care less about. But whenever you study the Scriptures and you study what's dealing with here, when you come to reality of the spiritual side of ignorance, you'll find very simply that it's one of those things that when it comes to ignorance and the spiritual and ignorance and, and, and the willful ignorance and some of the things that are taking place, it isn't always bliss. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask the Lord to be with us this morning. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you for... Your many blessings. Lord, we thank you for the blessing of the Word of God. We thank you for the blessing of church family. We thank you for the blessing of answered prayer. We thank you for the blessing of fellowship. We thank you for the blessing, Lord, of the Sunday school hour and Scripture and, Lord, the lessons that we're able to walk through. And, Lord, we thank you so many times, Lord, for so much. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us not to be ignorant. Lord, this morning of your Word. Lord, there are many who are ignorant of the name of Christ, and Lord, some who have chosen not to know the name of Christ. Lord, rather, they've gone their own way, tried to find their own path. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning. Lord, there's a man here this morning in this passage who needed this miracle, and Lord, you began to do a work. And Lord, we thank you for Peter's testimony here, and as he testifies here, he begins to point all praise to you, and we thank you for that. Lord, this morning we do pray that you would help us with that. Guide us and direct us. Lord, I pray that you would have your will, have your way. Lord, remove all of the many distractions. Lord, I pray that you would bind Satan. Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, as we begin to allow our hearts to be prepared. Lord, that we would be willing and ready. And Lord, obedient to your word. Lord, every single one of us is in a different season of life and facing different trials and Lord, different circumstances, but Lord, you're the same God. And so, Lord, we do pray that you would just deal with each of us. Lord, ignorance isn't always bliss. Lord, it's a subject that I pray, Lord, would take effect and fall on not deaf ears, but, Lord, ears that are ready to hear and respond. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. Lord, I pray that you'd be with myself as I preach. Lord, I thank you for calling me to preach your word. Lord, what a blessing it is to be able to study and proclaim the Word of God. And so, Lord, I do pray that you would be with myself. Lord, empty me of sin. Lord, that you would empty me of self. And, Lord, that you would fill me with your Spirit this morning. I pray, Lord, that if there's anything that would get in the way of the preaching of your Word, Lord, that you'd remove it now. Lord, may the Holy Spirit meet with us. We'll thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 
Notice with me, if you would, in verse number 2, you begin to see in chapter number 3, the Bible says, And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. And as we make our way from chapter number 3, verse number 1, all the way to verse number 17, we have to make our way slowly, but at the same time, we do so in an effective manner, I pray, and we see that this man needed a miracle. And could I stop for just a moment and share with you that every single one of us at some point in our time before we ever found Jesus Christ was in need of a miracle. And it was Jesus that provided that miracle. If you ever are wanting, you say, you know what, I've never had a miracle. It's a miracle that you're here today and that you're saved by the grace of God. That alone is a miracle. But this man needed a miracle. He was lame. This man was begging for alms. He was in rough shape. He was crippled at birth. He was carried wherever he needed or wanted to go. And he was carried to this gate that is called beautiful, if you would. The Bible says in verse number three or verse number two there, which is called beautiful. He was carried to this gate. And we live in a world today that is surrounded by people that are crippled. All over. You come in contact with people in the store. You come in contact with people in your neighborhood. You come in contact with people at work. And every single day you'll find that there are people that are crippled. In this picture that we see here, the Bible says in Romans chapter number 3, verse number 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're reminded of this simple truth in Romans 5, 6. The Bible says, for when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died. Notice this statement. For the ungodly. Romans 6, 3, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this man could no, go nowhere by himself in an easy manner. He couldn't, he had to be carried, he had to be taken, he had to be helped every single where every single place that he went. Everywhere he went, he had to be helped by people, and he could not get alone by himself. And sin has this exact picture. You see, sin also has this effect, and sin will limit the believer. Sin will limit the sinner, if you were to understand this. Sin is something that limits. If you ever think that you can get by living a sinful life, then you've sadly mistaken yourself. You've, you've all, almost convinced yourself into believing that you don't need God. And I'm going to remind you this morning, every single one of us need God. Every single one of us need the Lord in our lives. And as you come to this reality and you begin to, to see this picture here, sin limits. But what does it limit? I believe if you were to go into your study, I want you to think for just a moment, this man has been crippled at, at birth, and as he is trying to get along, he's trying to go about his way, he's trying to do things, he cannot do it by himself. I want you for just a moment to, to picture with me, as this man is crippled at birth, and as he begins to see people every single day, I believe it would probably have limited his happiness. As he began to see people just daily walking and using their legs, they weren't crippled, but he was. I would imagine that he began to ask, Lord, why am I the one who's crippled? Why am I the one who has to be this way? There are people every single day that are wondering why they're in a state. There are people that are wondering why they have to go through certain things, and they're looking for hope. They're looking for answers. But you know as well as I do, the only hope they'll ever find is in Jesus Christ. The only answer they'll ever find is in Jesus Christ. That alone is what they need. And this man, I believe, was limiting his happiness, and sin does just that. You think about homes that are broken because of sin. Marriages that are broken because of sin. Relationships that are broken because of sin. You think about individuals that are broken because of sin, and lives that are ruined because of sin. You see, sin limits the happiness of one. Not only does it limit happiness, I believe if you were to look at this man right here in verse number 2, the Bible says, a certain man lame, I believe it limited his health, and I believe sin 
also gives us that picture that it does limit our health. You ever think about sin in this way, you'll find that the Bible talks about the health of sin, and sin brings what? It brings death. You see, people go along their way and believe that they can just continue to go and they, they think they've got, they've got it figured out. They can manage this. They can, they can live in sin, but at the same time, they can handle it and make sure that no one finds out. But there's always a time when sin takes captive. Always a time. I believe it limits happiness. It began to limit his happiness. I believe it limited his health. And he began to find that it was something that it was always on his mind, but it also limits living, if you would. Could I ask you this question? If you were to go back in your own mind and you were to think personally in your own life and maybe a season of life where you were living in sin, maybe you're knowing someone who's living in sin right this very moment, I guarantee that if you were to go back and you were to evaluate and you say, okay, when I was living for the Lord and I was doing what God would have for me, and then I go back to this, this time in my life, maybe when I was living in sin and my lifestyle was this way and all these many things, I'll guarantee you that you would find that in that season of life when you were, you were living and it affected your life, that your lifestyle was completely different. You woke up probably ill about things and you probably woke up sometimes just mad about your circumstances, but you had no one to blame but yourself. You see, sin limits the way we live. And as you come to this picture here, this man, a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. I want you to notice, as the Bible says in verse number 6, as you come to this portion of Scripture, we find that this picture is in, in Scripture here. And in verse number 6, Peter says this, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, I give thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You see, this man was in need of a miracle. He's going to find that here in just a few moments. But as you get this picture of sin, the Bible gives some clear warnings about sin. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin will bring death. But also, in the Word of God, we find in 2 Timothy 2, 26, that it says, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken, notice this word, captive by him at his will. Proverbs 5.22 says, His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. You see, this word taken, if you were to go to Proverbs chapter number 5 for just a moment with me, and go there and look at these words that are found in Proverbs chapter number 5, verse number 22, you'll be able to write these things down if you so choose to. But in Proverbs 5.22, there are a couple of words that are used here. The first word is the word taken. The word take, if you would. And it is derived from the same context of the word taken here. And in verse number 22, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. That word take speaks of to capture, it speaks of to be trapped, it speaks of to, to, sne- uh, to be seized or to be snared, if you would. If you've ever been living in sin, you felt that right there. You couldn't get out, you didn't know what to do, you just felt as though you were trapped, as though you, you were held captive, if you would. And the word holden that is found in verse number 22 here. And he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. Holding gives the idea of to grasp, to be addicted, to seize. And notice these words now. As you put it all together, the Bible says, he shall, he says right here, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. His iniquity shall take, that word take again, to capture, to be trapped, if you would. That word holding, to be seized, to to grasp, to be addicted. And that word cord here in verse number 22, the cords of his sins. It speaks of a cord or a rope. It also deals with the pain, the sorrow, and the destruction as you picture this here. 
if I were to picture this or if I were to illustrate it this morning and I don't have what I need to do this, but I would bring one of these young men up for just a moment. And I would wrap this rope around them in such a way that they could not go anywhere. I could, I could wrap it around their arms. I could wrap it around their legs. And I could tell them, hey, run to the back door there. But they can't. Because you know why? Not only do we see in verse number 22, as it says, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holding with the cords of his sins. That word cord, that speaks of a cord or a rope. But also deals with the pain instruction. The truth of the matter is, I get to hold the rope. You see, many times we try to find a way out. We're living in sin. It's wrapped us up. It's got us entangled. We're allowing it to control us. It controls our attitude. It controls our actions. It controls everything about us, the way that we live our lives. And we think we've got a way out only to realize that until we deal with the sin, it's not going to be done with. You see, if you go and you study the life of, uh, of David, you'll come to a story, David and Goliath. And I heard a message a long time ago by Brother Johnny Pope as he was preaching on that message. And if you were to go and you were to study on that passage of Scripture, he begins to talk about how that when David cut off the head, he's cutting it off for good. You want to know the matter, the truth of the matter is, with many of uh, Christians who got, get caught up in sin, is that they take that sin and they sit it over here, but they don't get rid of it. They just hide it for just a little while. They'll leave it right there for just a few days or for a few weeks, and they haven't disposed it yet. They haven't gotten it right with the Lord. They haven't done anything to really get it settled. And whenever they, they get enticed, they go back and they pick that sin back up. They keep getting, giving way to that sin. Could I encourage you as you think about this passage of Scripture, his own iniquity shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. If you have sin in your life, get it dealt with now. You think, oh, I can manage it. I'm not like some people who can't get by with this. No, the Bible tells us that it will bring death. No one is above this death. In Sunday school hour, we dealt with David and David had just committed the sin with Bathsheba. And Nathan comes onto the scene and reminds David of a, a little bit of a story. In the beginning of this story, David begins to get mad, and David begins to get wroth, and David's upset about this. And Nathan looks at him and says, what? Thou art the man. Thou art the man. You see, no one can get by with living in sin. You say, oh, I can manage. No, you can't. No one can. David was a man after God's own heart, and sin got him. You come to this passage of Scripture, this man was needing a miracle here. And notice with me, if you would, for just a moment, verse number 4, the Bible says, And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. This word fastening deals with this idea to look intensely, to look earnestly, to look steadfastly, if you would. I can imagine as Peter comes in contact with this man, and this man is asking, the Bible says in verse number 3, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And I can imagine here as he's looking intensely, as he is earnestly and steadfastly doing this. You go to verse number 1, as you back up one more time, and the Bible tells us that Peter and John went up together in the temple at the hour of prayer being the ninth hour. And you see the disciples here were found praying at the very beginning of this chapter. You see, prayer was not something that was just casual to them. Prayer was something that was a part of their daily lifestyle. Can I illustrate it this way for you? Prayer was something that was scheduled in their lives, and if they had time to do other stuff, they were able to. You see, we've reversed this mentality. You see, in our lives, we schedule everything else, and then we say, if we have time, we'll pray. 
That was not the biblical thing. That was not what was taking place here. No, 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 no. It was scheduled in their lifestyle and in their living. They were scheduling times in which they were going to say, hey, we're going to give ourselves to prayer here, and we're going to give ourselves to prayer here, and hey, if we have time to do this, we'll do it. The disciples in chapter number 3, verse number 1, were found praying. They were found praying often. It was something that was made much of, if you would. But they weren't just praying. The, the disciples didn't just pray to pray. They were praying not only for serious reasons, but they were seeking a purpose here. And that purpose begins to reveal itself in verse number 2, 3, 4, on down. That purpose, again, goes back to this man who is in need of a miracle. You see, this man, in verse number 5, the Bible says, and he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. You see, this man came, and he was expecting a coin, but instead he finds himself, as Peter makes those statements, hey, I don't have silver, I don't have gold. But Peter had something far greater. The man came looking for a coin, and as one preacher put it, he found a cure. Uh, Man, how many times have we gone to the Lord seeking something that we thought we needed only for him to give us exactly what we did need? What a blessing. And this man here in verse number 6, the Bible says, Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This man not only was needing a miracle, but he experienced a miracle. You see, in verse number 9, the Bible says, And the people saw him walking and praising God, and they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement, which had happened unto him. You see, in verse number 11, at the very end, when the Bible uses this statement, greatly wandering, that word greatly, that statement, greatly wandering, speaks of amazed, astonished, to be dumbfounded, if you would. Because this man, who was one who was paralyzed, one who was crippled, if you would, he couldn't do anything, he couldn't get anywhere, was found praising the Lord. But he wasn't just praising the Lord, he was jumping, he was leaping, he was stirred up, he, he, he was excited about it, and the Bible says, and they knew that it was he. Could I ask you a question? And this is something the Lord convicted me of as well. How many times... When God has answered, did people know that it was God that did something in my life? It's not always going to be a leaping experience. It's not always going to be a time where you're shouting and hollering and all those many things that take place with praising the Lord. But how many times have we ever just acknowledged what God has done? How many times have we ever just very simply said, Hey, I want to praise the Lord and I want to do it publicly before everyone who's here that, Hey, God has done something. Sometimes we think, oh, they don't care. Well, they'd probably care a little bit more if they saw other Christians getting more excited about what God is doing. You see, we, we, we've trained society not to care about God because many Christians act as though they don't care about God. We, we've trained society into believing that God isn't something or someone that they, they should pay any attention to because they see so many Christians living their lives as though they don't pay attention to Him anymore. And so I wonder, in my own life, if, if people are asking or if people see me on a daily basis, can they tell when God is doing something? Praising God. You see, the Bible says that they were greatly wondering. They were curious about this. We're making our way. We're almost there to the big idea, if you would. In verse number 12, Peter sees his opportunity. The Bible says, And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look so ye earnestly on us? As though by our, our own power or holiness, we had made this man to walk. 
He says, no. The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you and killed the prince of life whom God hath raised up from the dead whereof we are witnesses. Peter begins to see his opportunity here. And Peter begins to deal with them in a couple of ways. He begins to deal with their marveling and, and what they were amazed by. And he begins to point all glory to the Lord. He begins to point them to Jesus, if you would. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 21, that this is something we ought to do as well. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 Corinthians six twenty says, For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Hey, whenever God does something, don't act as though you did it. No, point him to Jesus. He's the one who did it. He begins to deal with their marveling and what they have been finding themselves imagining or wondering about. But he also says this. Notice in verse number 13, he says, The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son. Notice this statement. Whom ye delivered up. You can't blame anyone else. You can't say it was so-and-so. No, no, no. He says, ye did this. Ye delivered him up. He begins to deal with their delivering up of Jesus. You see, the Jews were blind to who Jesus was, but Scripture helps us to understand that some were not. You go and you study Pilate's wife, and Pilate's wife makes this statement in Matthew chapter number 27, verse number 19, when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with this just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Roman centurion said this in Luke 23, 47, Now when the centurion saw what was done, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. It was the demons in hell who in Luke 4, 34, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. You see, there were some that were ignorant. There were some that were blind. There were some who didn't know who Jesus was. But also scripture tells us that many did. And I wonder today as we come now to verse number 17 where we find ourselves. The Bible says, now brethren I want that through ignorance ye did it as did also your rulers. Notice with me two things and we'll be done this morning. Their attribution. We don't have long. I told you it was a long introduction and shorter as we close out, their attribution, Peter begins to address their problem, and their problem was ignorance. Now, we deal with two different types of ignorance in our day and age today. We deal with eternal ignorance. There are some who don't know the name of Christ, and they're ignorant to the name of Christ. There are some who have heard the name of Christ, but have rejected the name of Christ, and their eternal ignorance is going to send them to a place called hell. There are people who are in need of Jesus. The Bible tells us in Philippians chapter number 3, verse number 8, it says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Can I share with you this morning that there are many in our day and age, there are many in this culture that are trying to gain as much knowledge as they can. 
We are living in a day and age where many preachers find that it's easier to pick up another book than the book. We are finding that many preachers are preaching all about other preachers rather than just preaching, thus saith the word of God. There are many Christians who are finding that it's easier to just live the casual Christian life than be sold out and given to God. Can I share with you that there are many Christians in churches and if I ever fail you to preach, thus saith the word of God, then I have failed you. It does you no good if you have all the knowledge of the word of God, but you don't know Jesus Christ personally. It does no good. If I ever fail my children and teach them, hey, we go to church and we do this and we live for the Lord and all these things, but I never see them except Christ, their personal Savior. And I failed them. And can I share with you this, this morning, parents, if you... Bring your children to church. And if you teach them to do all of these, but they never accept Christ, you failed your children too. You see, it's not about all the knowledge in this world. I have sat under preaching from some of the most laid-back country preachers that didn't have all the books, didn't have the largest libraries, but you felt the presence of God on the preaching of God's Word. Why? Because God got a hold of the preacher. God began to use His Word. Sometimes we find ourselves getting behind the pulpit And we need to be reminded that Christ is the goal. Always the goal. We're living in a world, and Paul reminded us as he says this, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. It's a sad day. Eternal ignorance, but not only eternal ignorance, willful ignorance. The willful willful ignorance is that which causes people to purposely not choose the word of God people who decide that they can get along with life without God. They don't need God's Word. They don't need the things of God. They don't need all of that. Hey, they've got the Lord. Uh, they've got all these other things. They don't need the Lord. They've got, they've got their friends, and they've got their, 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 their activities, and they've got all of their, their gadgets. They don't need God. They've got all the knowledge the world can offer. But can I share with you, if you gain the world and lose Christ, then you've lost it all. If you never accept Christ, you've lost it all. There are those who are ignorant to this. And, and, and Peter deals with this. He says, Now, brethren, I want that through ignorance ye did it, as did also your rulers. You see, ignorance isn't always bliss. Over 20 years ago, this subject was being dealt with, and I want you to listen to the words of one who is dealing with willful ignorance. He says, Willful ignorance is still a problem in spiritual things today. This is over 20-something years ago. We all can know more about the things of God, but we choose not to. Folks skip church and thus avoid increasing their spiritual knowledge by willful choice to do other things. Few study the Bible regularly, but willfully choose to limit their spiritual knowledge by doing other things rather than study the Scriptures. Parents will insist and see to it that their children do not miss school where they learn their ABCs, and rightfully so. But the same parents will frequently miss Sunday school and church and travel on a pleasure trip. That is willfully perpetuating spiritual ignorance. No one can complain that spiritual deficiency is a lack of opportunity for it is a lack of will. Christians choose to turn on the TV instead of studying God's Word. Christians choose to make plans with friends rather than going to church. Christians choose to fill the bucket list all the while becoming more and more ignorant of God's Word and God's will. If you ever find yourself complaining that you don't know more than another Christian, then let me start by letting you or encouraging you to ask yourself this question. How many times have you opened the book yourself? You see, don't depend on the preacher to give you all the knowledge. Because I ain't got it. 
and I won't have it. Don't depend on your Sunday school teacher because they won't have it. Hey, children, don't depend on your parents. If you have a word, you open the Bible, study it yourself. You see, many times we make excuses, and I've, had, I've, I've, I've listened to testimonies of people say, oh, where do we go wrong? You stop placing the emphasis on the things of God. The church was no longer a priority. The Word of God was no longer a priority. Getting together with friends and doing this and having the best of this and all these many things, that was made the priority. John eight thirty one says, Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on Him, If ye continue in My word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Can I encourage you? There are many individuals who will make mistakes because of ignorance of what God's Word had to say. Well, if I would have known that, I, would have, I wouldn't have made this decision. I would have done it this way. Well, did you ever consider to ask yourself, what would the Lord have for me to do? What does God's Word have to say about it? Uh, no, I just, you know, so-and-so just said it would be a good idea. Well, hey, it might be a good idea with so-and-so, but if it's not a good idea with God, I wouldn't do it. Can I encourage you to consider Jesus? A poem that I have here entitled, Just Those Words, Consider Jesus, that has helped me. If sorrow or sadness is weighing you down like a heavy boulder, consider Jesus. If suffering is giving you pain like the sting of a scorpion, consider Jesus. If sickness is draining your strength like a sponge that soaks up water, consider Jesus. If you are stunned or bewildered like a hiker lost in the thick fog of the night, consider Jesus. If you are a slave to addictions that leave you bound like a prisoner with heavy chains, consider Jesus. If your heart is shattered or broken like a glass vase splattered on the marble floor, consider Jesus. If you are seduced with temptations like a fish that is lured to a hook, consider Jesus. If your home is splintered into pieces this morning, consider Jesus. There are many who never once decide that they're going to consider Jesus. They're ignorant to it. Some eternal ignorance because they just don't know any better. Some because they willfully say, I don't need Jesus. You see their attribution, but finally we see their admonition. I give you this admonition in verse number 18. He says this, But those things... But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should suffer, he had so filled. If you were to take a pen and you were to circle but those things, you could simply go straight to he had so filled. But those things. Well, what are those things that you're speaking of? The word admonition speaks of an act or an action of counsel or warning. It's admonishing, if you would. And Peter does just this. What are those things? Those things are this. He would be rejected by his own people. He would be a man of sorrows. His miracle would not be believed. He would be betrayed by his friends. He would be forsaken by his own. He would be scourged and beaten and spat upon. He would be crucified. He would be suffering from the piercing of his hands and his feet. He would be surrounded and ridiculed by enemies. He would thirst he would be buried again. The child of God, I remind you this morning, he would rise again. Those things. Could I ask you this question? Are you ignorant to the things of God's word? Maybe you say, I just didn't know because I haven't been studying. Or maybe you've chosen not to remember because you don't want to be an obedient Christian. Willfully. 
I want to encourage you, ignorance isn't always bliss. You find that there are many who will make poor decision after poor decision because they just didn't simply know what God's Word had to say about it. But there are some who are searching. They're ignorant, and they need someone who's not ignorant to take them and show them they can find hope in this book. His name is Jesus. Could I encourage you, could I plead with you, consider Jesus this morning. Consider Him. Consider His Word. Consider what He has for you. Stop saying someday and say, No, today, God, I give you my all. I lay it on the altar. I say, Lord, my life is yours. Take it. Use it. Do with it what you please. Consider Jesus. Lord, we do thank you. Lord, I thank you for your goodness once again this morning. If it was not so, Lord, if we could not reflect on all the many blessings of our lives, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to that place to do so. Lord, help us to consider you this morning. Some are ignorant. And Lord, ignorance isn't always bliss. Lord, some struggling, no doubt, Lord, that need to consider you. Some searching for answers, some searching for guidance. And Lord, they haven't considered you. And Lord, maybe there's one here this morning that has never once accepted Christ as their personal Savior and they need to get that settled. I pray that you would help them, Lord, to make their way to this altar here to let us know that they need to get saved. Lord, I pray that you would help us now. Use this invitation the way you see fit. We'll thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed, with heads bowed and eyes closed. This morning, I want to ask just one question before I invite you to find yourself the altar. If there's one here this morning, you say, I've never accepted Christ as my personal Savior. You just want to slip your hand up and say, just pray for me. I just want you to pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you this morning. Anyone at all? As the piano plays, there are some that are finding themselves at the altar. Maybe you want to just find yourself here this morning and say, Lord, help me not to be an ignorant Christian, one who owns the book but doesn't read the book, one who knows what you'd have for me but doesn't abide by it. Maybe you want to pray for someone who is lost. You want to ask the Lord to bring them to a place where they would accept the Lord as his personal Savior. Maybe you just want to find yourself at the altar and thank them for some blessings. As the piano plays, some are at the altar. If the Lord's speaking to you, I want to encourage you to find yourself at the altar. Spend some time in prayer.